Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Hello, hello. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to take a second to note that Susan's birth stories were split into two separate episodes. So this week, she'll take us through her C-section, her two hospital VBACs, and her first HBAC, and then next week, she'll take us through her last five birth stories. So without further ado, here's Susan. Today we're chatting with Susan, and Susan is going to share all of her birth stories with us. So Susan, do you want to just start by giving us a little bit of an introduction? Okay, I'm Susan Peterson. Um, At this point, I'm 71 years old. My births were between 1973 and 1989. Awesome. And where are you located, Susan? Were all of your births in the same area, or did you move around at all? I lived in Annapolis for the first three. I lived in Baltimore for the next um, five, and I was up here in New York, New York State for the last one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, why don't you just take us to wherever you want to start us off? Okay, well, when my birth, birthing story starts, uh, I was in my senior year of college. I had an unplanned pregnancy with, with, um, with my first child. I... Probably if I'd been deliberate about it, I would have waited till after I got out of college, but I didn't do that. So my whole senior year, I was, I was pregnant and the, uh, the object of all sorts of, of comments. <laughs> so once I heard the, uh, the cleaning staff at the college watch me walk up the, the stairs to the classrooms and, and I heard them saying, she could be married. <laughs> So um, I was very involved at the beginning of the pregnancy in my college work in reading philosophy and writing papers. But as I went on through the pregnancy, I found that more and more I wanted to uh, have a garden and uh, make soup and bread and things like that. So I actually didn't write the big paper I was supposed to write for that year of college because I lost interest in the subject of it, which is okay because since then I've gotten a bachelor's degree, but it took many years. So I was a pretty ordinary-minded person. I wasn't a hippie. I might have dressed like one the way a lot of people did in the 70s, but I still had a lot of trust in authority and trust in, I guess, what I would have called science. And, and trusted the doctors. I remember when we went to the uh, meeting at the hospital for, for expectant parents, a woman was saying, well, could you deliver in a squatting position or you know, a, a sideline or, or any other position, but with your legs up in stirrups? And I thought, I was embarrassed by her actually. I, I just thought it was strange not to do what the doctors wanted to do. It's hard for me to get back into that mindset, but that's where, that's where I was. I was, so you could say I was very cooperative with the system at that point. 
Um, I went to I went to a Lamaze class. I expected to have a normal birth. I had the attitude that C-sections were something that happened to somebody else, not me. I really would have liked to stay home, not for the usual reasons, but because I had the idea from my mother that I would be screaming. Um, and I thought that it would be embarrassing to be doing that in, in a place with other people around. But since I was going there, I was gonna do what they said. So one night I started to have a few mild contractions. I called the doctor and he said, well, come in when they begin to curl your toes. And then they sort of petered off, but I noticed a little bit of leakage. So the next day I had an appointment. I have the whole, nothing happened. And I went to, had an appointment and I was on the doctor's table when he had to go down to the hospital and deliver a baby. And they just left me sitting on this table or lying on the table. So by the time he got back and put a pH strip in there, it said it was just vaginal fluid, not, not leaking waters. So then and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then three days later I was in there and um, they used that strip again and it showed that it, it was, it was um, amniotic fluid. So then they were like, you have to go right to the hospital this minute. And I said, well, I got to go home and get my stuff and get my husband. No, you should go right to the hospital. But I didn't. I went home and got my stuff. I was only like a couple blocks from the hospital. So uh, we actually walked from my house to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and um, first they took an x-ray, which they don't do anymore when you're pregnant. But back then they would do it in later pregnancy. Um, they didn't want to induce me until they knew the, the baby could go through the pelvis or as, as much as you can know from a picture. So then they got ready to hook me up to the induction fluid. Now, inductions were much rarer then than they are now. And also back then, nurses mixed up a lot of things on the unit that now would come right from the pharmacy pre-mixed. Even in the early 90s, when I became a nurse, we mixed potassium IVs on the floor, which is never done anymore. But back then, they, they mixed the induction fluids on the floor. And I heard two nurses outside the room arguing over their calculations. And they were arguing over where the decimal point went. I was pretty sure that the one who won the argument was actually wrong. <laughs> so, you know, they started me and nothing happened. And after a while, they came in and turned it up, and they did that about five times. And finally, I had these piddly little contractions that were no more than Braxton Hicks. So when the nurses would leave, my husband would turn it up a bit, and I'd have a little bit more contractions. And then the nurse would come in and, you know, look at her watch and count the drops and turn it down. That was also before auto automatic IV pumps, at least there. So... That went on all night, and then the doctor said, we've poured enough Pitocin into you to induce an elephant, and nothing's happening, so we're going to do a C-section because, you know, your baby's, your water's been broken so long, and after 24 hours with the water's broken, the rate of infection soars. I was very dubious about the reasoning. I felt that this might, I remember thinking that it was an obstetrical fad, but I also didn't know. And 
But I thought, well, you know, if I don't know, I have to know. Otherwise, I have to do what they say. And he said, oh, and your friend, Dr. O'Reilly, is going to come in and do the, do the C-section. Because they knew I liked the older fatherly doctor. I think it's because my father always took care of us when we were sick, when I was a kid. But anyway, so the old Dr. Riley came in, but then they said, oh, she's AB negative. We, ha we don't have any AB negative blood. Now, I don't know why they didn't just use ONAG, but I guess their protocol was you needed to have type specific. And since they didn't consider it an absolute emergency, they sent somebody up to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to get some AB negative blood. So I, I guess it's 45 minutes up there and 45 minutes back. It was almost two hours that I lay there on that stretcher outside the OR waiting, thinking all the while they're going to cut me and I'm not sure there's a good reason for it and wondering how I could leave the hospital. But I didn't know how to get out from where I was. I only had a gown on and nothing else. <laughs> I just, and I knew my husband would make me come back anyway. So I just stayed there and waited. And I had my C-section and um, the baby was fine. So then all I got to my hands were of course taped down and they held the baby up above me and I, the, the pediatrician did move the baby down just so I could touch the edge of his foot. And then he was gone. And then they sewed me up. And by the time I got back to the room, room, I think I was starting to hurt. And they gave me, they gave me Demerol. And I was asleep until it wore off. I asked for more Demerol. I was asleep until it wore off. And when I woke up after that time, I said, do you think tomorrow I could see my baby? <laughs> Oh so, so the, the nurse, the nurse, they were bringing the babies out to be fed. So she, she brought, she brought the baby to me and he was bumping his head against, against her blouse like they do when they, you know, are really hungry. And she said, this baby's, this baby is hungry. And I said, well, thinking, okay, I could nurse him. And she was like, no, C-section babies can't, don't get anything for 24 hours. Now, that was because up until just before then, all the women who had C-sections had general anesthesia. So the babies would be very sleepy. And so um, they might aspirate. So they'd taken that policy and applied it to a situation where it didn't apply not just baby can't nurse for 24 hours, but can't have anything at all for 24 hours. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, the nurse gave me the baby and went away. He's bumping his head on my, on my chest. And I'm, I know that he's hungry now. I've never seen anybody that breastfeed in my life, but I'm, I'm determined I'm going to give him the, give him the breast. <laughs> because it's just so obvious that he wants it. Now, mm -hmm. at that point, I, I had a scar up and down because the bikini cut was new. So even though, it, even though my uterus is cut across the bottom, the abdominal scar was up and down. And it's, I don't know how that compares to how you feel after you have a bikini cut, but it really 
hurt when I lifted up my arms to untie that gown, but I got it down. And as soon as I got the baby near the breast, he, he latched on and started sucking hard. So I was able to nurse him on both sides, but the nurse came back and caught me and she yelled at me. <laughs> but good for you for doing it anyway, because obviously you're right. That's exactly what your baby wanted. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is, in t until I did that, I'd been having cramps. I thought, what I thought was, well, now that they've cut me open, all that Pitocin is working and, and I'm having labor because I was having just over and over again, these terrible cramps. Um, the minute I nursed the baby, that stopped. And I don't know the explanation for that. Some kind of hormonal response, but all that crampy pain went away. So later on, another nurse came back and said, that nurse, I know that nurse was upset with you, but um, really this shows you'll be a good, a good nursing um, baby and nursing couple. And so I, I, back then a week was the standard stay for a C-section. I went home at six days because I was doing so well. And the, the day I came home, I carried a basket of laundry down the stairs and did it. So I got over the C-section really, really, really well. I was really in, upset by the idea that they told me, oh, no, it would be dangerous for you to ever have a baby vaginally. The doctor said, well, if you came in here, you know, and that head is crowning, we're not going to race, race you with a knife. But that's I, I knew that was there wasn't a very good chance of that. So I started reading everything I could about about the subject it, and honestly it made me feel like a cripple I didn't feel like my baby had been born which some people have gotten have gotten offended with me for because then it's like saying their c-section births weren't births but it was just my reaction to it that my baby had been extracted from me not born mm -hmm. um, and and I didn't like that and I didn't like the idea that if somehow I were caught away from the medical system, that it, it, it would be dangerous, that I actually couldn't have a baby. Some horrible thing would happen to me, which is sort of how they put it to me. So I started reading all about, now there was no internet then, but I went to the library and got what books out of the library I could find. And there was a Boston Women's and Children's hospital book about birth and there was just a little bit in it about some doctor doctors in europe no longer believe once is a c-section always a c-section and a few doctors here have been doing it so when i was pregnant the next time i asked i had a lamaze refresher course and um i asked the lamaze teacher if any doctors did um about a vaginal delivery after a C-section. The, 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 the term, the acronym VBAC hadn't been invented. They called it TOLAC, trial of labor after cesarean. And I forgot to tell you that before this, I, I went to four different obstetric practices and asked them. And then I, when I called the fifth, they said, we know who you are, don't even bother coming. <laughs> So, and the, and the sixth and the seventh said that too. So I asked them all and none of them would do it. So I heard that there was a doctor in DC who would do it. So I, I, um, 
I started, I didn't have a car. I started begging uh, rides to, for people to take me to DC to see him. He was very encouraging. He didn't say it's been too soon since your last C-section and it was 17 months. He, he just, he, he, he's the one that explained to me that I'd been cut, cut on the inside um, across the bottom and not up and down because I was worried about that because I'd heard that that way was more dangerous. Um, and he just, he, he just was very optimistic about it. So I, I saw him and um, they also were not so worried back in those days about your being late. They were much more blasé about it. I think you had to be three weeks late before they started talking induction back then. So I, anyway, that baby was born um, six days after my due date. And it was just like a first labor, which I'm told is typical if you have a C-section, have a, a birth after a C-section without any labor, you labor like a first time mother. So it was a long, slow birth, you know, and I was sitting in a hospital bed the whole time. And the Lamaze class had given me the idea that that's how you labored. You had to be sitting in a, in a bed. I, um, I might've gotten up once early on to go pee, but other than that, I didn't get out of that, that bed. So when I got this, I got the six centimeters installed. Now the, I had asked the doctor the last time I'd seen him, what kind of things would make me need to have another C-section? And he gave me some, and one of the, he said, I had a, a patient who, who, who got to see six centimeters and just stalled, and we, we waited another day, and she just didn't dilate anymore. So here I get to six centimeters, and I stall. Um, and he watched me through a couple of contractions, and he said that I was tensing up. And I probably was tensing up. I'm not too good at sitting still and relaxing. So he did a, a thing called a paracervical block, which where they use this really long needle, I mean, through a, guide, a guided thing and they put Novocaine in your cervix. They don't do that anymore because it was found sometimes to drop the baby's blood pressure, but it, it worked well for, for me. I suddenly, the contraction suddenly stopped hurting. I think I slept a little bit and sure enough, I, I dilated. So I was up at eight and they said, your cervix is getting small. Do you want another shot, you know, to hold you, hold you through uh, until pushing or, or not? You have to decide now. So um, I was, I was kind of scared because the contractions were starting to come hard and fast as the, the medication wore off. And I didn't know what I was gonna feel. And they're saying, you have to decide now. And I thought, well, why should I hurt if I don't have to? So I let them give me that shot, which I think was a big mistake. I remember right after they gave me the shot, my husband said, well, you've cut yourself off from the experience of women through the ages. I said, why didn't you say that before I decided? <laughs> But so I very quickly got to fully dilated. Um, I didn't feel any urge to push. The doctor had me lie down, get flat to examine me. And then he said, try to push my hand out. So I gave a great big push directed from my head and not from my instincts. And when I did it, the weirdest thing happened. It looked like a bunch of snakes were swimming on my abdomen um, under the skin. 
what happened was that I had, I, I developed a diastasis, diastasis recti right then. The internal or, or the intestines actually swam up over the uterus. And that's what those snakes were. <laughs> so the doctors were, the, the doctor and the nurse were laughing because it was funny looking for sure. And I said, what's going on? What's going on? It can't be too bad or you wouldn't be laughing. And um, they said, no, it's not too bad, but it means we're going right in the delivery room and have, to, and have this baby. And I'm like, why? He said, well, you, you, uh, you can't push, push like that. Um, I'm going to use forceps. And I'm like, are you sure I can't try to push the baby out? And he was like, no, you can't. So I had to believe him. And um, we went in the delivery room, which I think some of your listeners won't know that back in those days, there wasn't um, a room where you labored and delivered. You were moved from the labor room to the delivery room, which was basically an operating room where you're on narrow, a narrow table in the middle of a room with all these lights and everything. So there I am on my, on my back with my legs up in stirrups again. And um, I had a mid forceps rotation delivery. He gave me a, a pudental block. And that's, that's all I had had the paracervical block and now I had the pudental block and it was not painful. I could feel it, but it wasn't painful. So amid forceps rotation delivery, they, they go up and grasp the head, which is just through the cervix. And, oh, the other thing is when, when my muscles tore and those intestines swam up, the baby turned over. So she was posterior. So they use, put the forceps up up once and turn the baby and then take them out and put them in again at a different angle and pull the baby out. And it can be dangerous if, some, if a doctor doesn't know what he's doing. I think this doctor did know what he's doing, what he was doing for using forceps was very common during the time that he, he was an older doctor in the seventies. So he knew what he was doing and the baby has some bruises on her cheek from the forceps, but she was fine. So then, I guess after the heads out, they deliver the the shoulders the way they do babies that are not delivered by forceps. And back then, that was to cut cut a big episiotomy. So that's what happened for her to be delivered. So there was no pushing or anything, no feeling of the head coming out. So I don't know what else there is to say about that. We went we went home fifteen hours after the birth. And everything was fine. She was a very different nurser than the first baby. Um, the first one would nurse hard and solidly and then sleep, sleep for three hours and wake up and nurse hard. And he was just such an easy baby to take care of because he did it like a book would say he should do it. <laughs> but um, this baby would nurse for 10 minutes and then lose interest. And I'd be reading during nursing. So I'd keep going a while because I was interested in the book. And then when I would think, oh, I better get up and do something, then she'd want to, when I moved, she'd want to go on nursing. So it seemed like I was spending my whole day nursing, which is more typical, I think. Also, my, um, when my um, older child saw the new baby, he was fascinated. I guess he thought this was a great new toy. But when he first saw me nurse her, he let out a howl of misery. <laughs> now, he had nursed until I was 17 months pregnant, and then my breasts were just too sore. And since he obviously still wanted to suck, I gave him bottles. 
But anyway, when he saw me nurse her, he was miserable. And of course, the next day, my husband had to go back to work. So there was nobody to distract him or anything. He he tried to pull her off my lap and attack her with a block. The only thing I could do to get peace was to let him nurse too. So I nursed both of them. I didn't really like nursing two at once. It felt like it divided the love that goes along with, with nursing. I don't know. It was, it was not physically uncomfortable, but it was emotionally uncomfortable. So eventually I was able to persuade him to take turns and that the little baby got the first turn. It took a while to teach mm -hmm. him that. They actually both nursed until I was pregnant with my third. <laughs> so they were three and uh, three and one, one and a half when I got pregnant again. Because I was nursing both of them, I really got some lactational amenorrhea, which I, I don't seem to get much of with one baby. So I had a whole year. I went away to a home birth conference run by an agency, an, um, a group that probably doesn't exist anymore, but it was called NAPSAC, the National Association of Parents and Professionals for Safe, Safe Alternatives in Childbirth. So I went to this conference. One thing that happened was I met at the conference was I, I met this, this woman who wrote the book, Essential Exercises for the Childbearing Year. And I, she just walked by my table and she was talking about di diastasis recti. And I reached out my arm and touched her shoulder and I said, I have that. And she said, well, there are these exercises. And she said, come with me. And we went into the bathroom, which, you know, it was in a hotel and it was elegant. And there, there was a lounge in the bathroom with a, a rug on the floor. So she actually got me down on the floor and taught me this exercise. And it was very simple. You just used your hands to pu push the sides of your belly together and then you tried to lift your head up off the floor like a mini sit-up so after that I did that exercise whenever I thought about how I wanted to give birth which was probably several times a day <laughs> were you already thinking that you wanted to have a home birth at this point or did that come in later I just at that point this point that point I just wanted to have a birth I mean I fantasized about there being um a, a blizzard so huge that it would be is impossible to go to the hospital. So I'd have to have the baby my, by myself, whatever far-fetched scenarios I could come up with. So I couldn't go to the hospital, I imagined. So I was, obviously I did want to have a home birth, but I didn't ra rationally think it was possible. So anyway, I remember standing outside the hotel waiting for a, a, a taxi or something with the head of knapsack. And I told him about my two births, one C-section, one mid-forceps rotation delivery. And he didn't really think I had much chance of, of you know, of ever having a home birth. <laughs> like I had a really bad obstetrical history. So anyway, I was pregnant the third time and I was going to the same doctor he was much less like the first time he was very solicitous of me and like said it was going to come to the hospital the minute I was in labor this time he was like well maybe you'll have me maybe you'll have my partner and uh I said but but the last time you said you would be there for sure and he said well now now that you've had one feedback you're just like anyone else <laughs> and if I'm in the airplane my airplane 
and I'm not going to land in order to come deliver your baby. My partner is just fine. So I remember I made an appointment to see his partner just so I would have met him. And he went, he did that, that gesture when you put your hand, like, I guess, at the bottom of the baby's head and on the top of the abdomen to feel how big the baby was. And he looked shocked and he went and, and looked at my record and said, well, you have had a couple of big babies, but, you know, you really should get in your mind that it might not be possible for you to give birth to this baby. And I said, oh, I, I'll give birth to it. It's a question of whether it'll go through. The question is whether I can push it out. So um, he, he looked dubious. He had some idea that he thought maybe that baby wouldn't come out. But so... How big were um, your first two babies? Do you remember? Nine, six and nine, seven. Okay. So uh, this labor started very differently. I remember a friend of mine had been there and we were uh, waxing my floors, cleaning and waxing them with some machine she had. So, so she did most of the work, but still I, I was going around before she got to a place picking up, you know, coins and beads and crayons and such, whatever was on the floor. And um, my back, I, when she, after she left, my back was kind of hurting. So I, I got in the tub and took a nice warm bath. Um, and then I went and sat down on the, on the couch with the kids on either side of me and the phone rang. And when I jumped up, my water burst all over the place. So I, and my, it was my friend saying she left something there. And I was like, I can't think about it now. My water just broke. And she was like, okay, call your doctor. So I went, who I called first was my friend who was going to watch the, the kids. And I said, what if it happens like the first time and I never go into labor? And just then a really hard contraction hit me. And um, I think those were the hardest contractions I, I really remember because I remember at one point I couldn't keep standing up. I got down on the floor. <laughs> I mean, it was just... It was just uh, really hard, starting out hard. So we, I called the number of the, the person who was going to drive us there was the husband of my friend who was going to watch the kids. And he was at work painting the interior of an apartment building. And of course, I'm very anxious to get in touch with him. And the number I had was the superintendent's. The superintendent's wife answered and she said, I'm not going to go walking around this building looking for him. Oh and my. I said, I said, well, I'm in labor and he's going to drive. And she said, that's your problem. And she hung up on me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. So I so I called her again and she hung up on me even faster. And I, I was like, what can I do if I if I can't call an ambulance because they won't take me all the way to D.C., they'll just take me to the local hospital and they'll just section me. Who else do I know can drive me? My friend Peggy tried calling that woman and she hung up on her, too. But then we got a call back um, that the, the, the woman's husband said, don't worry, I'll go find him. So he, he went and found him and he came and picked us up. So I, I'm sitting on the, in the front, street, front, front seat of a pickup truck sitting on like three towels because I, I don't want to wreck, wreck the guy's tr truck seat. And, you know, kind of a bumpy ride for being in labor. But um, we got there. Um, I remember being hurt because, you know, the nurses 
put me in a labor room, which it was a different hospital. The first, the first one was, it was a more um, upper class hospital sort of towards the suburbs. But this one was Washington Hospital Center, which was kind of an inner city type hospital. So the, the um, labor rooms were tiny little cubicles, just room for a bed and one chair, you know, and one little bedside table. So, and the doc, I could see my, um, my doctor over by the desk talking to the nurses and he, he saw me, but he didn't come over and say hello. And uh, my feelings were hurt. I mean, now I know that with all those other people around, there was a, a sort of rule, patients are patients and the staff are the staff. And there's certain ways you interact and certain ways you don't. And I shouldn't have expected him to come over and say hello to me. It was amazing enough that he was there before the birth. So um, I remember I got in the room and back then they shaved you just in case you need a C-section. So they were, sh they were shaving me. And I said, are you going to give me an enema too? And they, they had examined me and they said, no, we don't give enemas to women who are seven centimeters. So I was pretty far along. So when, when I got to eight, um, this doctor comes along and says, do you want an epidural? And I was like, didn't Dr. Brew tell him about me? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want that unless for some medical reason I would need it. And Dr. Brew came up behind his back and said, you won't need it. So pretty soon after that, I was fully dilated and, and, and pushing and pushing naturally and sleep sort of, I guess, sleeping between contractions. Because at one, one point, Dr. Brew said to me, you know, in this hospital, they only give you two hours. And I was like, well, how long has it been? And I was thinking about 15 minutes. And he said an hour and a half. I, I said 20 minutes, even though I thought 15, because he sounded like he was saying it was a long time. No, it was an hour and a half. So I got up in a squat, holding onto the sides of, of the, the bed rail and really, really pushed. And that doctor had told me that if I could push the baby out myself, I could deliver in the labor bed. I didn't want to be in a delivery room with my legs up in the air. Well, I got to the point, I said, I, I can feel some of that burning, stretching sensation that I'd heard about from both Lamaze classes, but never felt. And, and he nodded at the nurse and she unlocks the bed and starts moving it to the delivery room. And I said, wait, you said I could deliver in the labor bed. And I must have sounded very indignant and very complaining. He said to me, well, then it's a good thing I lied to you. And I couldn't understand this was my doctor that I liked. And I was so upset and so furious. Now, I think after it took me maybe 25 years before I came to an understanding of this, you know, we were at Washington Hospital Center because he had lost his privileges at the other hospital for not fetal monitoring every woman. He, he would have a... Um, one of the midwives associated with him sit with them, you know, and, and listen to the baby's heartbeat. Then, back then it was with the fetoscope. They didn't have the, the very portable Dopplers, but with, listen with the fetoscope every, every uh, 15 minutes. And he had a study to show that that had better outcomes than electric fetal monitoring, but he had lost his privileges. So I think he was thinking, 
you know, I'm the one that gets in trouble for wanting women not to have to be tied down to, to wires for fetal monitoring. And I'm the one that all the doctors hate me because I hang out with midwives. And you can't believe me that, that I need to do this. I guess it was something like that. But I had no idea. I was, you know, about to push a baby out. So I am just pushing, pushing like hell. And uh, the nurses are yelling at me, don't push, don't push. And they rush the bed into the delivery room. And then I have to get moved onto that little narrow table, which is really the same OR where you'd have a C-section. And my legs have to be put up in the stirrups and all those blue drapes have to be put all over me. And I, I can feel the head, the head is crowning and I feel like my baby's head is going to fall out on the floor. So I look over at him and they're doing that whole thing you see in the movies where the nurses are putting the jacket on the doctor who has his arms out and tying it for him and putting his gloves on. And I, I don't usually talk like this, but I was like, put those fucking gloves on and get over here and catch this baby before he falls on the floor. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was so mad and I really was afraid that apparently it would have taken a while because then he went and he did another, he did an episiotomy and I didn't feel the actual birth part because they give you something before. I, I didn't feel them giving you the shots, but they give you quick shots and then they do the, or maybe they just, the numbness is just from pushing on the perineum and they don't need to give you a shot. But anyway, I didn't feel the episiotomy and then you don't, if you're that loose, you don't feel the baby coming out. So he holds up the baby with a really sheepish look on his face um, and shows him to me. Back then they didn't give the baby to you right away. They, he walked over to where the nurse was going to measure him. And as he walked by me, he said, next time you can stay home. Because he actually did do home births, but just not as far away as Annapolis, within a certain radius of the hospitals where he worked, he would do home births. And there was a book in which he's featured called the Home Birth Book, um, which shows pictures of some of the births he, he did at home or where he caught the babies at home. So it sounds like he really wanted more for women than he maybe felt he was able to give at yeah, that point. Am I understanding that correctly? Right, right. He wouldn't have stopped it too. He wouldn't have said you only have two hours, but that was what the hospital's policy was. Yeah. But the reason he took me to the delivery room, he told me later, because the baby turned out to be 11 pounds. Um, he told, first of all, he told me size is no problem for you obstetrically. And then um, I asked him, why did he say that? Why did he have to take me to the delivery room? He said, well, I, I have um, a complex about big babies. Cause when I was in training, I was, um, I was just an intern, not a resident. And I hadn't learned much. I was in the beginning of my OB rotation and there was a woman, um, giving birth who was diabetic and her baby was huge and she was knocked out as women were in those days so she couldn't help and the shoulders got stuck and he'd never learned the maneuvers to unhook them and the baby died so I guess they didn't blame it on him because he should have been supervised at that time and there was nobody there to supervise him I mean that wasn't his fault but of course he blamed himself so, so he had some trauma from seeing that. 
Yeah, from not trying to get the baby out and not being able to and, and having it die. So then he said, and once I was delivering a baby who was 11 pounds at home and the woman's um, bottom sunk in the bed, it was too soft and I couldn't do those maneuvers. He said, well, we got her butt up on some pillows and it worked out. But um, he said, I, I was panicking. I just was flashing back on, on, you know, that baby that died. Once he told me that, you know, I forgave him. Um, it sure was not a great way to, to, to <laughs> say it to me, you know. So I guess he thought the baby's big, there might be shoulder dystocia. And he wanted to be where, you know, he was in just the right position to do those maneuvers. So anyway, um, after that, I was hoping, really, really hoping for a home birth. Oh, that baby had some newborn problems. First, his blood sugar crashed. And um, they said, the, the, the pediatrician that I arranged to be there so that I could have him with me all the time, said I had to really stretch it to say the sugar was above 30 and 30, we, we started an IV, so we have to feed him. You know, your, the colostrum isn't enough to get his sugar up. And I didn't want to give him a bottle. So I let her, I let her give, give him the bottle. And the sugar went up, but it kept, it, kept, it, it kept going down again throughout the hospital stay. And every, after each nursing, I had to give him some soy formula, which I, which I hated. I kept trying to get the nurses to do it. <laughs> and... Um, I mean, and they were giving me methogen because I, I had, I guess, I bled a lot. They said I bled two cups and that that technically is a hemorrhage. So they were giving me methogen to contract my uterus. And that has a side effect of keeping your milk from coming in, which I didn't know. I just couldn't understand. Oh, and also the first night. So I'm in bed with the baby and my husband's sound asleep in the, the jerry chair that they put next to my bed. And it's pitch, it's dark, and I'm just nursing the baby on one side and the other. And in about five o'clock in the morning, the nurse came in and said, she turned on the lights and she started yelling at me, didn't you, didn't you see how red this baby is? Didn't you see how fast he's breathing? Didn't you see those retractions? Well, at that time I had no medical background. I didn't know what retractions were. And I, you know, no, it was dark, you know? But um, they, she pushed some kind of emergency button in the room and it seemed like in, in an instant, 20 people were there and they were getting me to sign something, giving them permission to do something. I thought the baby was gonna die, really. I was scared to death. I was thinking it's Ash Wednesday today and my baby's gonna die. So it wasn't long before they came back and said that he was okay. Um, what he had had was polycythemia which is too many red blood cells. So his blood is really, um, really sick with them. And by bumping together, they could clot. And it's like, it's a life-threatening condition. If you, if the clot could go to the brain and give the baby a stroke or go to the heart and give him a heart attack. So what they did was they untie the umbilical cord and take out some of the baby's blood and put it in plasma. So, and then after that, he, he was okay. It wasn't like he went back to that, but it, it was kind of critical at the moment. So that was another reason why I was afraid. Now I have another reason why I can't have a home birth. 
and uh, the neonatologist came to me and said, we, we really don't think you should have any more babies because they'll just be bigger than this and they'll have the same problems, only worse. I was really depressed. He said, well, did you want to have a big family? And I said, well, I certainly don't want to be that afraid of getting pregnant. Um, he just said, oh. So I remember I, I, so it turned out they thought even that I must have, have had gestational diabetes, which they didn't test for in every pregnancy the way they do now. I'd been tested af after the birth of the first one. I had a six hour glucose tolerance test, um, which came out normal. They tested me for the second. I, I failed the two hour postprandial, but the three hour one came out normal by the definition then, which was two out of three numbers normal. Now you have to have all three numbers normal. And then in this pregnancy, they were like, okay, you're okay. We don't have to test you in this pregnancy. And then I, I had this huge baby who had some of the problems that babies of diabetics have. So I went and had another glucose tolerance test afterwards, which came out normal. And um, I, I didn't know what to, what to make of it. There was nothing they could find when I wasn't pregnant that would cause it. So um, at that point, we moved, we moved from Annapolis to Baltimore. And when I was pregnant again, I started asking around for doctors. And I was referred to this um, <clears throat> family, family, what do they call it? Family medicine doctor, Dr. Muncy. I, he was very friendly. And I told him about my desire to have the baby at home. And um, he, he, he said both of his, his wife had had their baby at home and that he, he thought that hospital wasn't a great place to have a baby and that, you know, if, if I did that, he would, he would support me. Then he said, but since you do have, you know, um, complications, there is an OB in town who does home deliveries. I went to see him. I went in the first time I went in the office and this woman comes up to me and says, I am going to be managing your labor. And, <laughs> and my first thought was, no, you're not. <laughs> And then when I saw the doctor, he was very negative. He was like, I know what's going to happen. Your blood sugars will go, go wacky and you'll have to have a C-section at 37 weeks. And I was like, well, doc Dr. Monsi said we could do estradiol determinations to see how the placenta was doing. And he said, I don't know this Dr. Monsi from, from a hole in the ground. And uh, the doctor has to be the captain of the ship. So I was crying and I just got up and left. And that lady who was gonna uh, manage my labor came running after me with the, all my medical records that I had with me. So I, I went back to, to um, Dr. Monsi and he said, well, you know, I can come to the birth, but I can't promise that I would be there for the labor. Oh, you know, he said, I can't come to the birth. I can give you prenatal care and I can talk to you on the phone during the birth. But I was doing home deliveries and then the newspaper did an article on me. And the head of obstetrics at this hospital said, if I did another home birth, I'd lose my privileges here. And then I couldn't teach family practice residents um, how to deliver babies. So I can't have that happen. So he said he would support me and he would um, he said, once the baby's born, I can come and examine the baby because then, then I, I, you're just two patients of mine. Um, and the pediatrics department um, 
doesn't say I can't make home visits. So I had to, but I felt at that time, I thought I had to find somebody to deliver the baby. Uh, so talked to a couple people and I had a, a friend who was sort of trying to become a midwife by apprenticeship. So she'd gone to about 30 births, some with a, an old doctor who had been a doctor since the 1920s and who did home births. Just if you looked in, in uh, Williams obstetrics for, for 1950, they set up the room sort of like a, hosp a hospital room. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything was super sterile and they put the bed up on bricks so it would be higher like a delivery table. And um, the baby was taken away from the mother and put in a crib. And I mean, it was nothing like what we think of as home birth now. But she did home births and she would do breaches at home even. So I had friends who went to her. So my friend had gone with her and then she had gone to birth with uh, an, another what we used to call lay midwife because there were no, there were no certification bodies for non-nurse midwives at that point. So she had some experience, but she certainly wasn't, she wasn't a, a certified person in, in birth. But Dr. Muncy said, have her come see me and um, we'll talk, I'll talk to her. And so he saw her twice for two hours each time and went through all the emergencies that could arise and what what she could do and he gave her all kinds of stuff and all kinds of sterile packs of stuff to open and so she she's the one that came and, and caught the baby and um she wasn't there long because my fourth labor went quite fast so I guess we're up to the fourth labor now yeah um, I just I have one quick question I guess how sure. how were you feeling leading up to all of that after having all of your previous births in the hospital. Was there anything different that you did to prepare for a home birth this time? Just get this, you know, the stuff that they recommended, like you put a sheet on the bed and then you put a plastic sheet and then you put another sheet on the bed in case your water breaks in bed. Mm -hmm. I was still thinking, I still was thinking birth equals bed. Um, so that's what I did. I, I don't think I did anything else special on purpose. I did wind up doing a lot of walking she was due October 30th, which was Halloween. And I, that day I walked with all my other kids trick-or-treating for about two hours up and down in a neighborhood where all the houses were way up high from the streets. We had to go up the stairs and down the stairs. Um, and we also uh, went on a hike. We, took a, we still didn't have a car. We took a bus to outside Baltimore to where there was a trail through the woods between one big access road to Baltimore and the other. And we walked the trail until we felt sort of tired. And then we looked at the map and realized we were three and a half miles, um, no, five and a half miles in. So there was no choice. We were going to walk another five and a half miles. So we did. <laughs> that was after, after my due date. And I, I think the exercise must have helped. I, I woke up about eight in the morning having what seemed to me pretty mild contractions and wondered is this really labor? And around 10, 10.30, I thought, yes, this is really labor. And I called uh, Karen Martin, the girl who, who, uh, caught the, who later caught the baby. And she came, but it wasn't, it, she got there by 11.30 or quarter of 12 and the baby was born at noon. So she wasn't there very long. 
Um, as soon as she got there, she called Dr. Muncy to tell him she was there and the baby and then he wound up wound up staying on the phone with her while the baby was born. And I felt that it was uncomplicated from my point of view, but she the shoulders were sticky. They were slow and she had to do some kind of a maneuver where you put your finger under the lower shoulder and move the baby. And I knew I did see the baby kind of spiraling as she came out. So um, I I think she was really scared for a minute. Those, those, those seconds are very long if you're the one responsible and, and the baby is not emerging. (laughs) Then um, Dr. Muncy came within 20 minutes after the birth and examined me and the baby. And he, we did a blood sugar and a hematocrit to try to um, see if, if the baby had any of the, you know, the problems that the last one did. And they were both fine. So whatever that big problem was that the neonatologist said was going to get worse and worse, it didn't. And she was, you know, about 10 pounds, um, I think, weighed by stepping on the scale with her and without her. She didn't have any newborn problems. And my husband thought, well, birth at home is like the easiest thing going. (laughs) (laughs) So he became a big fan. (laughs) You had mentioned that they kind of set the home up like they would in a hospital and like putting the baby in the crib and doing all those things. We we didn't do that. That was just with this one old, old doctor. I mean, she must've been 75 or something. So she'd been doing births at home since she was since the 1920s. Maybe she was 85. I don't know, but that's what she did. Um, Okay. So that's not what it was like for you. No, we didn't really do anything special. Um, I was just in the same bed she was conceived in. So we didn't, we didn't do anything particular. I I kept, I thought, well, the kids should be here, but I was just too absorbed in the birth at that time. And my husband didn't call him. So he called him right after the birth. And we have pictures of my son looking over at the umbilical cord coming out of me. And then later at the placenta being delivered. So the picture I showed you was what he remembered from <laughs> looking at, at that point. We have a picture of him looking right over my thigh, looking very, by about eight inches for, from my crotch, looking with great <laughs> intensity. Uh, an interesting thing about that birth is that the person who sold us the house told me that he and, and his four siblings had all been born in that same room. That's very cool. Yeah, I think so. So what was that postpartum time like for you compared with all of your other ones, just already being at home, having had your home birth, and then obviously having other children to take care of at the same time too? Right. Well, I preferred being at home. I did have to start doing stuff right away. But um, I know that the, the five-year-old would, would, was always fetching things for me. So he was already old enough to be somewhat of a help. You know, if I had the baby on, on the changing table and I had forgotten something, he, he, would, he would bring stuff to me. But I, I don't know. I just managed. At that point, my husband was working nights, so he was never home for dinner. So we had very easy dinners. We had cottage cheese and peaches with a sprinkle of wheat germ was one of our favorite dinners. <laughs> I, w- I, wasn't, I wasn't cooking meals. I mean, 
just the simplest things, you know, scrambled eggs for breakfast and or, or cereal and peanut butter sandwiches for lunch. But it wasn't really that hard. That that I thought that new that time newborn time was um, the easiest, and she was an easy an easy baby. She was she, she didn't um, nurse very much or very hard, and she wound up only being nineteen pounds at one, which she just wasn't. If you saw her now, she's she's uh, in her in her early 40s and she's she's um you know a very lithe, lithe uh, slender thing <laughs> she just wasn't meant to be a big person so it was my endocrine system that made her big at birth so um so i got my i got i know remember i got my period back very soon after she like three to four months after she was born um even though i was completely nursing her and not using solids or supplements or pacifiers or anything and sleeping with her but it still it still didn't really work to keep keep my uh, my fertility away thank you for listening to another episode of the home birth after cesarean podcast make sure to subscribe leave a rating and follow us on facebook and instagram if you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.